Big shout out this week to Dortania McIntyre for being the newest Southpaw Patreon sponsor. If you'd like to support us too, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. This is Sam. This is Paul. This is Leslie. And this is Southpaw. will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? Do we do this whole bully camp? So today on the podcast, we have writer and podcaster, Leslie Lee III. Hi, Leslie. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. In thinking about who we could bring on to discuss WWE and labor rights, uh, I was trying to think about who's a super fan with the right kind of politics. And you were the first person that came <laughs> to my mind. Well, uh, thank you very much. I, but I, did, I do want to clarify, I'm a super wrestling fan, not a WWE fan. I realized this the hard way um, because I w- recently went to a live um, event where a w- live watch party for WrestleMania that um, WrestleSplania was doing, which is a great uh, professional wrestling podcast. And I couldn't get through the show because I just found WWE so unentertaining compared to the wrestling that I usually um, watch. What wrestling do you usually watch? I, I, I like a lot of independent wrestling. I like Japanese wrestling. Um, some of the promotions like our Stardom, um, Shimmer. I prefer uh, women's wrestling usually because uh, uh, back in the day, I got really into Joshi Pro Res, which is the um, 80s and 90s. The Japanese women's wrestling was the best wrestling on the planet. They were Their wrestlers were super popular. They would sell out the Tokyo Dome. It's, it's my favorite area of uh, professional wrestling i'm always trying to uh, recapture that spirit so before the massive explosion of women's wrestling here in the u.s via wwe it had already had a big heyday in japan Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Chigusa Nagayo the, uh, uh, and Linus Asuka, the Crush Girls, they were huge. They were rock stars. Everybody in Japan knew who they were. Um, if you watch any of their old matches, the entire you have an entire arena of like 16, 17-year-old girls just screaming for them like they were the Beatles. It was uh, ama- uh, it was an amazing uh, era. And, it, uh, and, you know, recently... WWE has had their women's revolution, but that was built on the backs of, you know, the 10 past 10, 20, 30 years of independent women's wrestling in other promotions. And not just independent, actually, because there were some um, larger promotions like, you know, everybody knows Glow, but there was also the LPWA and Glow wasn't really wrestling, but LPWA was and had serious uh, women's wrestlers. That's where Alundra Blaze came from. She didn't, didn't just pop out of nowhere. She was trained. There was a serious 
legacy of women's wrestling in the United States that WWE has kind of erased because that's one one of their superpowers as the monopoly on professional wrestling is that they get to define the history, at least in America. So they're telling you that the wrestlers that they have now are the first serious female wrestlers in the U.S., which is, you know, completely, you know, false. It, you Back in, you know, the 80s, you had LPWA and other men, men's promotions that competed with WWE would have women wrestlers from there. And then, you know, once WWE took over, there were still a lot of independent women's wrestling. That's where a lot of the wrestlers they have come from, like Sasha Banks or um, Rebe uh, Rebecca Knox. Um, Becky Becky Lynch is her name now, but Rebecca Knox, she's been wrestling for like 15 years in other prom various pr promotions uh, before she got to WWE. Oh, OK. So that's what she's talking about in her promos about how she's been in the game for so long and has been paying her dues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So all these, you know, all their their entire roster, like the most talented people on it, spent five to ten years somewhere else, and that includes the women too. Now, the the narrative of the women's revolution is that the WWE is the first company to do this, but that's not the case at all because none of these people would know how to wrestle if it wasn't for all these <laughs> other promotions that were out there grinding out, you know, at your local, you know, VFW hall every week. Uh, so I'm a big fan of independent wrestling and, you know, WWE as it currently exists could not exist without it because their training program is basically inadequate to create the type of stars and wrestlers that they need to run their business. So to the casual fan like me, who really kind of watches uh, WWE like people watch Super Bowl, where I don't watch it until WrestleMania yeah. then I start trying to get caught up on the storylines, then, then I'll watch it. But to somebody like me, I thought the whole revolution started with NXT was training all these people. But you're saying NXT, which is their training ground, isn't as good as the indie scene. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, because basically what and this is what professional wrestlers you know, say all the time, the way you become a good professional wrestler is by wrestling a lot of different styles in a lot of different places in a lot of different countries if you can swing it. And then when you go down their roster and look at the best wrestlers on there, those are people who all did that. You know, there's very few top W stars who have been trained, you know, from uh, start to finish by WWE itself. There's very, very um, few um, that really like, because it's hard to develop as a wrestler when you're only learning one very specific, one very particular style because professional wrestling is about, you know, improvising and reacting to different crowds in different ways and doing different things and not just doing this one um, style all the time. So WWE isn't the pioneers of this uh, women's revolution then. They're kind of uh, late to the game. Or uh, if we look back to the Divas era or before, maybe they took a step backwards for a while and made it kind of a sideshow and then started taking it more seriously. Exactly, exactly. Like, it, it's so funny because they're basically giving their themselves credit for um, no, not being as sexist as they were. And they didn't have to be. Like, when you look at the history of it, there were always women, talented female wrestlers around. But WWE chose deliberately for years to not hire them, to hire models to go in there, give them poor train, give them not that 
adequate training and then have them pretend to be wrestlers. Now, some of these uh, women did, you know, go on to be, you know, somewhat talented wrestlers. Uh, they shouldn't have had to be because like it, wrestling is very difficult, right? Like it's physically, uh, it hurts you physically. It, it's, it drains you mentally. If your goal is just, to, there were so many women who came in the WWE and were kind of pushed towards being wrestlers when that's not really what they want to do. It wasn't what they're ready for. And as I said, that the training isn't as adequate as they needed. So a lot of these women ended up with like very you know pretty severe injuries because or giving other people injuries because they they shouldn't have been pro wrestlers basically i remember that during the divas era they were always getting hurt always getting hurt always hurting each other trying to do things that they weren't really ready for and re really it was never their fault it was the company's fault because they're like while that was happening in you know Chicago at Shimmer in the Midwest at IWAMS in Canada up uh, in, in Supergirls like wrestlers that you see on TV now like Rebecca Knox she was around she was wrestling but WWE wasn't hire hiring her because they were hiring models instead and trying to force them uh, to be wrestlers like Beth uh, not Beth Phoenix but. Um, Natty Nyhart, she was uh, one woman who was around during the Rebecca Knox era. Now, because she had connections, she got hired by WWE very long time ago. Even at the, even though she didn't really fit the prototype of what they were hiring at the time, because she had familial connections. So Natty and Nyhart was able to, you know, kind of uh, get over that. But there were, but Natty Nyhart wasn't wrestling by herself back then. She was wrestling women like Lefisto and cheerleader Melissa and Mercedes Martinez. But all those women kind of got left behind because WWE just didn't want to hire real wrestlers for the most part. You talked earlier about how the WWE kind of erased some parts of history, especially when it comes to women's wrestling. What other historical events within the general pro wrestling storyline has WWE kind of forgotten or gotten rid of from the archives? Well, I mean, all the companies that existed <laughs> beside WWE, it's kind of funny because there's a the WWE would. Uh, put out the DVD for you know the death of WCW and the death of ECW, and those are the two like closest companies to um, you know national prominence that most people remember. But they got to write the obituary for them. Like that's pretty weird that the the company that destroyed them got to write their obituary, <laughs> and that's that's what in is in all fans' mind when they think of WCW. They only think of the ridiculous, absurd, bad stuff that happened to it. They don't think of like all the super talented wrestlers that they would bring in, how they would bring in wrestlers from Japan and Mexico, how uh, how they were, you know, much more diverse, uh, presenting a much more diverse type of wrestling, how the matches were almost always better than anything you see on WWE, especially on their weekly shows. Like all of that has been erased is just the absurdity that started to happen once WCW hired WWE's writers to come over and um, take over their show, like we've we've forgotten so much of what was you know good about wrestling before, and now we just.
just live in the WWE universe where, you know, whole history of companies who don't sell their archives to WWE, like no longer exist in the wrestling fans memory. Like it, it might as well have not happened all these decades of wrestling that uh, have occurred unless WWE can buy your footage and use it in their own manner. Like it did. It doesn't exist. When you look at something like the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony, which they have every WrestleMania weekend, the people who are honored are the people who are still in good terms with WWE and will show up. And that's what goes in the history books as being the Hall of Fame of professional wrestling, when professional wrestling has always been so much bigger and more diverse and larger than WWE. But now it's just like Vince McMahon gets to kind of define everything, our past, our present, and our future uh, for us, unfortunately. Yeah, it's this weird retconning, because even when they do own the footage, right, maybe they'll show footage from like Jim Crockett, you know, that era and that promotion or like AWA or something else, right? Yeah. They'll show those clips of like old time wrestlers, but then pretend that they were always wrestling for the WWF at the time, not for that different promotion. Yeah, yeah. They won't mention, they'll show clips, but won't mention the actual um, promotion. They'll do this this a lot they or they'll always present it as especially they do this with a lot of modern wrestlers they like the term bingo hall they'll always put <laughs> down the wrestling that they were doing before like they do this with aj styles like aj styles like he was he wrestled for a major promotion even he wrestled for tna on tv every week he wrestled in new japan but they always talk about like his past like it was just like nothing he was just scraping the bottom of the barrel when he you know at certain points was probably making as much as a lot of wrestlers in we were because he was so active and so busy and he was always you know really talented and we had been trying to get him for a long time he wasn't just you know he's a family guy if he waited until the right offer came along before they just wanted to bring him in basically for a handshake and 500 bucks a week and we'll see how you do kid he waited until he got to the point where they could no longer they had to like sign him for real real and actually pay him real money um, to do it. So you mentioned earlier about how you're more of a pro wrestling fan than you are a WWE fan. What's the difference between like Japanese uh, pro wrestling and the indie scene compared to what we all think of as wrestling, like the WWE? So it's, it's a lot of things. The first thing I would tell people is like to try and think of like all the different companies, you know, in America, in Mexico, in Japan, it's not all of them together and WWE like try is works much better if you think of it as like all of these are alternatives to WWE because some of these companies like New Japan, it's not an independent company. It's corporate owned. It's owned by a large corporation. They have, you know, TV deals. They have, you know, the Tokyo Dome shows. They're a big, big company. And there's other companies in Japan too that also exist alongside it. And what happens is like in Japan, you don't have to just choose one you don't just have to watch new japan you can be a super fan of all these other companies that are pretty healthy pretty stable 
and like you have options you know you have a lot in and, and, and the wrestlers have options too the wrestlers can go from one company to the other now no one really is making a ton of money but they're making a living and if they and they have a lot more security there and if they don't like one company they can at least go to a different company where in america it's like once you get in wbe now that's changing a little bit with AEW, but for the for the past few years once you get in wb you don't want any if you leave there your like career is over a lot of people feel like there's there was a wrestler who killed himself after he a few months after he got let go of wb because he didn't really know anything else and didn't really know how to navigate life because wb is the only thing game in town so i want i really want you know wrestlers and fans to stop thinking of wb as the only game in town think of all these other companies out there um as you know just as legitimate just as fun just as entertaining in fact i would say the vast majority are a lot more uh entertaining than wbe and you know support your local wrestlers you know go to their shows don't wrestling shouldn't just be something that you just watch on tv a couple times a week it should be uh something you go and see live and you be a lot of people are surprised by how close a lot of independent wrestling companies are to them like it's worth going because you're always going to have you're going to have a much better time watching you know your local guys wrestle live than you uh, will be watching you know the superstars on tv i can guarantee you that why is the live experience so much better it, it i mean it's just like any uh live experience like live sports um you know you it, it's what wrestling feels like when you're watching live it's like seeing an action movie that you're like a part of and you can participate in like when you go to see mission impossible you can't slap tom cruise on the back and say <laughs> go get him you know but you can do that in professional wrestling you know you don't have you idris elba won't you know get in your face and threaten to beat you up you know but you get that with professional wrestling you get to be a part of the experience of the show and that's why i love it so much and also pro wrestling more than even concerts, maybe there's a lot more, it seems like audience engagement where they're not just like yelling at you at the crowd, they'll get right to you and they'll try to get the audience involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the best professional wrestlers, they always want that crowd interaction. They want you to be a part of the show. The bad guys want you to boo them and yell at them and threaten and want to fight them. That's what they love. They love interaction so, so much. I, every professional wrestler does. And there's no almost, there's no professional wrestler who just wants to go in there, do their thing and not get a reaction. All of them are chasing that reaction from you. And that's why they go out and try to perform like, you know, to the best of their ability every night. And that's why a lot of times I feel like professional wrestling is kind of more fun than live sports because, you know, you ne even if you have the best, you know, two football teams together, they might go on and put on an extremely boring game just because of how, you know, football works where like if two teams that are very high operating have very high level might cancel each other out and you're just sitting there bored that never that doesn't happen with professional wrestling they're always out there to put on the best back and forth show for you to get you into it to make you think that the guy who could never beat this other guy can do it to make you think that this woman who's completely unstoppable might have a flaw they want to tell you uh amazing story in the ring every time that's what they're trying to do when you talked earlier about how wrestlers in other countries, specifically Japan, can go from one promotion to another, and even though it's not 
a huge payday, it's a living. But it seems like in the US, specifically WWE, when you mention it's the only game in town, it sounds a lot like the independent contractor versus employee issue. Yeah, so the, in the, for people who don't know, WWE calls all its wrestlers, um, the wrestlers, the people you see on TV, the people you pay to see, not the all the other employees that they have, you know, they have to run the numbers, you know, do graphic design, et cetera, et cetera. Those are employees, but the wrestlers, the, guy, the people they put on the poster, they are not considered employees. They do not get benefits. They do not get health care. WWE calls them independent contractors. Now, does this mean that any of those wrestlers can wrestle for someplace else or not show up for work, et cetera, et cetera? No, they're locked down more than anybody. You, if they went there, a guy got fired for being in the audience of a different wrestling promotion <laughs> once. OK, a guy got fired for taking a picture on Instagram with other wrestlers from a different promotion and not even like a major competitor. So you will are as a they tell you, you know, what to tweet and what you can't tweet. Um, they tell you who you can say. They tell you when and where to go to this, you know, local network and do promotion. They tell you what how to live your life, where to go and what to do. But you're still not considered an employee. You're considered an independent contractor. And they do that to just save a few bucks, basically. <laughs> like and, you know, with, with WWE being the only game in town you like you know the reason part of the reason it is the only game in town is because it locks all its wrestlers down for you know years at a time and if you want to quit they just will not let you sometimes that it didn't used to always be like that in you know what we call the territory days where there were multiple you know wrestling promotions that had different territories across the country what would happen is that you know a wrestler would wrestle for one place you know six months nine months a year and then he would move on to a different territory where he would be fresh and new and could have a big feud or a big storyline there and then he would get finished that and move somewhere else and it kept things fresh for the wrestlers kept things fresh um, for the fans and people had you know options to go around different places but wbe still like call, pretends like that's how it works but that's not how it works they don't let any of their guys do anything without their explicit permission they couldn't come on a podcast without you know getting permission from wbe let alone go somewhere else and wrestle so them calling them independent contractors it's the re only reason they haven't been sued to smithereens because of this is because they have a monopoly. And of course, anybody who takes them to court over this is never going to be able to work for them again. When people were calling the WWE a monopoly, I think most of us just thought, oh, you mean monopoly like they own the airwaves, right? Like most of the TV wrestling is WWE or they own the territory, meaning most of the US is the WWE territory. But what you're saying is, not only is it an, a monopoly in that way, they also have a monopoly on the talent where the talent can't go anywhere else. Even though they're technically independent contractors like they are in the indie scenes, they don't have any of the rights of independent contractors. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, WWE tells you, you know, when to eat, where to be who to talk to, what you can say all the time. They tell you how they, t they give them a dress code. I don't know if it's still <laughs> in effect, but there was for years, they would give the wrestlers a dress code for like going to the airport, right? <laughs> like, like anytime you were in WBE, like you had to be, 
you have to represent the company at all times, even though you're not an employee and they do have employees. They have a full staff, a full massive office. All these people who never take a single bump in the ring, they get all their health care taken care of. But the wrestlers don't. And it's just and there's no reason for it other than just being cheap. Right. There's absolutely no reason for it. And, you know, there's has been, you know, some instances where wrestlers have wanted to do this show or do this event to help a friend out, to help a company they used to work for out. Sometimes WWE lets them do it. Most times they say no. Um, there was a uh, one time where Ring of Honor, um, which was a uh which is a much bigger company now. Now they're corporate owned by Sinclair. But when they were, you know, smaller independent company, this one wrestler really wanted to wrestle for them. And WWE, you know, strangely enough, agreed to it. Um, but then word got out that he was going to be there. So they canceled all his appearances. Like, so <laughs> like just that level of control, like just the fact that people knew he was going to show up, they were, they canceled all the appearances and said he couldn't come, even though this is a guy who WWE at the time was really not using or doing anything with, like, that's the only reason they agreed to it because they just were having him on contract and not letting him him uh doing anything that does sound good to most people to still be getting paid while you're not doing anything but those guys still have to do all the traveling and to do all the traveling and this and that and the other and not being allowed to wrestle is kind of maddening for a lot of professional wrestlers so we talked about how the wwe is the only game in town but it wasn't always like that even if you go back to the 90s i still remember there was WCW and ECW, the two other major promotions. And WCW was owned by Ted Turner and ECW was big in the Philadelphia area. Do you think we'll ever see a rise like that again? Or has that ship already sailed? You know, it's, it's hard to say because I, I, I actually don't think that that's a good uh, you know, point to have where you have a f- couple of major promotions. But I would much br- rather something like Japan where you have like a bunch of viable smaller promotions you know because you know like that's i think that's much better for wrestlers i think that's better for fans like maybe there's when you get a situation like that there's not going to be as much you know ludicrous amounts of money involved like people who are working for wcw you know some of them were making you know six ten million dollars a year and not even wrestling but as we see that wasn't really sustainable like that that they wcw you know, lost a ton of money and folded. And WWE, they're not paying wrestlers uh, that much right now. The, they're they're paying Brock Lesnar uh, the most, and he's barely showing up. But they're not going to do that for every wrestler. Um, and the way it's set up with them having a monopoly, they can pay wrestlers, you know, probably a lot less and less and less because they're the only game in town. Now there is, you know, one caveat where AEW, which is a new promotion. Unfortunately, also backed by a billionaire. Apparently, um, the only chance to compete with um, one terrible billionaire is to have another uh, richer billionaire um, compete with him. But they're they are you know talking about doing some treating labor a little bit better, treating the wrestlers a little bit better, giving them health care, not just saying that they're independent contractors and locking them down, paying the women you know what they're worth and not just automatically having like a cutoff at one fifth of what the guy makes, which is kind of what w- the guys make, which is kind of what WWE does. They don't really pay the women um, comparable to what they deserve. Um, and they're trying to do some new things, but I, I don't know. It's 
you know, we'll see how major this is. There's even talk, ironically enough, of AEW going on TNT, which is the network that WCW used to um, be on. So that would be kind of some poetic justice. But I, I, I don't really think the path forward ultimately is to be, you know, have a WWE and the WCW, even though that's still a lot better. I really would prefer if, you know, a lot of the smaller promotions that are around became more viable, became more popular, became something local, like where it's not just where wrestling isn't just about, you know, national TV, where wrestling can be about families going together on Sunday afternoon and seeing it, you know, once or twice a month where they where wrestlers have a local connection to their community and are still able to, you know, make a decent living and make a decent wage. I would rather, you know, 10, 15, 20 promotions where, you know, people are making a decent living than just two where a handful of wrestlers are making the killing and then everyone else is still, you know, basically like a bottom of the card guy and making, you know, six figures for a couple of years, but then being discarded, um, which happened even during the ECW, WCW, WF heyday. So going back to the AEW All Elite Wrestling, Right now, all of this is hypothetical. Like, have they started yet? Or they're just telling people this is what they're planning to do, but they're not officially a launched company with shows yet. They're starting to promote their shows. They're, you know, their TV deal apparently is basically done. They're just waiting to announce it. They're like, it's it's in motion. It's happening. It's uh, This is a good question, Sam, because for longtime wrestling fans, we know we've heard talk of this second yeah, WCW for you know decades. So like, like ever since WCW closed, like months after, there was always you know millions of dollars of investors ready to pull the trigger on this next promotion. Hulk Hogan was usually going to be there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All those basically fizzled out and never really materialized. Aside from possibly, you know, you can give, say, TNA was that for a little bit, but they never really, you know, they never really had any real competition with WWE. They didn't really have the money that WWE um, ever had or WCW had and never really paid the wrestlers, you know, enough for it to be um, legitimate alternative for the most part. Some wrestlers got you know, decent paydays from TNA, but some wrestlers, they have their checks bounced sometimes, you know, so they, they never really got to that level. But yes, I think I can, we can pretty confidently say AEW is happening. What they've said they were going to do, what they'll likely do. The question more now is like, what, what is the longevity on this? What happens when, you know, right now all their shows are selling out because they don't have that many. What happens when they, aren't selling out the shows what happens when the billionaire who's funding them gets bored and decides that he wants to take a more active role and he wants to bring in he wants to bring in hulk hogan oh and no yeah 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 though <laughs> the, the you know the tale is always hot time the stuff that happens you know over and over again because th there's a term in professional wrestling called money mark right that means you got a basically someone who is a fan but has a ton of money doesn't know really anything know about the business and the promoter the actual wrestling promoter's job is to keep getting money from this guy without this guy ever getting wise to it or trying to you know meddle with it um almost always in the end the money mark uh wins out starts meddling and ends up killing the promotion 
Um, I don't know if that would necessarily happen with AEW, um, but it's a possibility always to uh, consider it because the 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 core you know problem is that a wrestling company shouldn't be run by just one billionaire, right? It should be something where all everybody who's participating, the main people participating, the professional wrestlers have a say, have a voice in the direction, have, have something, you know, have a stake in the company, making it better, making it, um, and everybody is working together as a team to, um, build something up when it's just, you know, one you know billionaire who called the shots it almost never works out in a way that's satisfactory to anybody but the one billionaire what you described if you replace wrestling with football sounds just like the xfl <laughs> yeah with uh vince mcmahon's xfl um i don't know why he does it i don't know why he's gonna try to do it again it, i guess it's just the one you know it's again the one Rich people are never really happy or satisfied. You'd think <laughs> he would be happy just having taken over an entire wrestling industry and monopolizing it, but he's not. He wants more. He he wanted to start uh, the World uh, Bodybuilding uh, Federation back in the day, uh, too. If people remember that, that was uh, he had he tried to make you know bodybuilding a uh, pay per view uh, type uh, consumer sports. Um, and that didn't work out that well. Well, he has like a muscle man fetish. Yes, he does. Definitely. Well, in speaking of the XFL and football in general, one of the stats that I was surprised about, and I was also surprised that I was agreeing with John Oliver, was that yes, <laughs> was that he showed the stats about the life expectancy of pro wrestlers versus NFL. And I didn't realize that pro wrestlers, especially WWE wrestlers, uh, was so much worse than the NFL. And in thinking about how to improve that, right? Because people just think about unionizing or employee status just for, oh, you know, retirement or like better pay or things like that. But without a union and without this employment status, how do you improve the health results of wrestlers and former wrestlers? Can you speak a little bit to that? Why it's so important also for just the longevity of wrestlers? Yeah, so um, if you want... <laughs> If you want wrestlers to live longer, live better, healthier lives, you have to remove the monopoly because the way it is very specific to WWE is, you know, wrestling generally is not good for your body. It's, it's just not. It's just the way it works. It's you being in car crashes all the time. There are ways to make it safer. There are ways to be smarter about it that, you know, we can talk about and get into detail. And wrestlers can talk about this. But, you know, the way you can't, you know, eliminate all the risk, but you can reduce them. But the way WWE is set up and the fact that it's monopoly makes that really difficult to impossible. Because think about your think about you're a mid-level professional wrestler. You have a nagging knee injury. You work you're in the WWE. What do you do with that nagging knee injury? Do you go to Vince and say, uh, you know, I can't I can't come in this week. You know, I had this little nagging knee injury. I'm going to take a, you know, a couple of time up. No, of course not. You, you would never say that you're going to wrestle through it and then you're going to injure something else. <laughs> and it's probably might be a worse injury and it's going to compound and compound compound because guess what you don't have that much money in the bank but you do have a big mortgage out in the, that big mansion you bought in florida where uh when you got signed right so you have to keep wrestling you have to keep making money you're afraid to take time off because then you lose your spot 
right? You lose your spot and then you're not making as much money. You're now as many shows. So you keep wrestling and wrestling and wrestling until you've injured yourself to the point where you have to take time off. And that, and that injury is going to be a lot worse than whatever was going on with your knee. That is how it works for, for so many wrestlers. I, I advise everyone to listen to um, the the infamous podcast um, that CM Punk did with Colt Cabana that was mentioned on the John Oliver show where CM Punk goes through and CM Punk, uh, most of these things that happened to him, he was a top guy there. Like he's and CM Punk is a very talented wrestler. He's not a guy who really needs to worry about losing his spot because he's such a obviously talented guy with a very magnetic magnetic personality he's never he was one he's the one guy who could take a year off come back and still be just as strong but even he felt this pressure from the company punk we need you punk you gotta do this punk you gotta do that we need you to go down to mexico and have this you know brutal match you know you're the only guy we got and he even felt and succumbed to the pressure and this is you know when you listen to seeing punk you see he's the guy who doesn't give a shit about anything right he's the guy who tells the, who will tell the boss to fuck off but even him even him put himself through the ringer to you know help out the other guys to help out the company because they said they needed him and put himself through a lot of injury and a lot of shit now imagine you're half as talented as cm punk you're not the you're the go along to get along type of guy you're going to put your, yourself through even more than he did right because we is the only game in town because you can't tell them no because you have once if you piss them off you have no other options it's it's something that you you know goes through every single creative or athletic field because you have a limited amount of time to make any kind of money any kind of impact and if you blow your shot you're not getting another one that and that's ultimately why you know the stats are so high on the injuries for the nfl but they're even worse in professional wrestling because it's kind of like the example of um why there are more head injuries in boxing than mma it's not because you know dana white treats the uh mma fighters better it's because when you get knocked down in mma the fight's over when you got knocked down in boxing you get to get back up what happens if you get knocked out in a pro wrestling ring you keep wrestling this, I've, I've seen it. I've seen my friends who are professional wrestlers come back to me after a match and say, oh, yeah, I got knocked in the middle of it. What happened? And this is just, you know, this is what happens. The show does go on now. They're also doing this dehydrated also because in boxing or MMA, right? Every three to five minutes. Yeah. You need water. They give you water. They're doing yeah. this concussed and dehydrated. It's crazy. And that's always going to be a risk, right? But when you compound that risk with the pressures of a monopoly, only one company, no healthcare, no time off, you're on the road constantly. This is another thing WWE does, why it's a problem that they're not a local company and they travel all over the country and the world. Um, it's You never get any time off. You're always on the road. You never get, you don't get a chance to, you know, really rest and relax and recover. It's not like when you're, when you're, you know, in the 80s and you're working for Mid-South and you just live in New Orleans and you just gotta show up on Sunday night. No, no, no. You're traveling all across all these other different places to all these different towns. You're in the circus. You're in the circus, and you're a professional wrestler. And that 
the road takes a toll on you and you don't have the time to rest and recuperate and recover like you would if you were with a stationary uh, company. But you don't have any choice. You have to get in this company. This is the only you only you can only go to WWE. Um, you have to go to WWE if you ever want to make any money. So and once you get there, you don't want to let it go. You don't want to take time off, et cetera, et cetera. And all these pressures on the already dangerous nature of professional wrestling is why we see these results, why we see more dead wrestlers than we do dead football players, because you're taking something that's already, you know, not good for you, but you're just compounding it for these, you know, ultimately unnecessary factors. You don't have to have a professional wrestling company that's on the road 255 days a year. You don't have to have a professional wrestling company where wrestlers are afraid to take uh, a week, a month off when they need to, when they have a nagging injury. You don't have to have that. There are better ways of doing this. Even WWE, in the way it's currently formatted, they could have a better way. They could give their wrestlers automatic three months off every year. Every wrestler gets an off season. It would change nothing about how their company operates for that. It would also give some of the other wrestlers a chance at the spotlight too. Exactly. It, it, if anything, it might. It would probably improve a lot of things because, you know, what really, as somebody who doesn't watch WWE, hasn't watched WWE for the past ten years, and to see kind of what it has evolved into now that there is so little competition. Now you're seeing wrestlers who, like Randy Orton, right, been world champion, you know, five, ten times, right. Now he's in the mid card. That's something strange. That shouldn't be something. That's not something that used to happen. It used to be once you became world champion, you kind of stayed at that level for a while because and because, you know, after a certain point, you would go to a different company and then become their world champion and kind of stay at that level. And you maybe bounce back and forth a little bit. Now, WWE has so many guys on the roster who have had world title runs that even like their secondary titles that used to mean nothing are all held by former world champions. And it's a very kind of unnatural state. It's not, it's, it just feels weird. It's not how professional wrestling is supposed to be. You're not supposed to go from world champion to mid card champion. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to always be you're supposed to move up and up and up until you become like a legend and now you don't really have that because they have so many people sign and there are so few opportunities for anybody new to really have a chance to shine because everybody's trying to stay there as long as possible no one wants to take time off because if they do they don't know if they'll be able to come back so it's unlikely right now that the u.s government is going to step in and break up the wwe but the U.S. government has something called the NLRB, which is the National Labor Relations Board, where they investigate independent contractors like this who are obviously employees because they tell you, hey, you have to be at this city this day. You have to dress like this. You have to do this. You have to do whatever we tell you. And you actually have to call me the boss. But if you're self-employed, you have no bosses, right? So why hasn't the NLRB investigated the WWE? You know, I don't really know. I think, I mean, a part of it is, of course, that, you know, WWE is the only game in town. So even wrestlers who get fired are pretty loath to piss them off. That's kind of changing uh, now. I know there was a recent case with the UFC um, where um, there was a complaint in a, a female um, MMA fighters. Uh, Leslie Smith. Yeah, Leslie Smith. I, I'm, I'm not sure how that 
um, turned out. But you know, there there were there could be tons of cases for this. There was a wrestler got fired uh, for getting for a take one to take time off because she was pregnant, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and WWE did get sued for that and they settled. But that scene does seem like something that you know a labor rights issue. But you know, WWE has. I I know one part of the issue might be that. Um, the the government did go after them during the steroids uh, trial crisis, and WB, you know, kind of, you know, not necessarily won, but it didn't really like make them change what they were doing all that much. And so maybe there people are a little skittish of taking WWE on since they are on TV, you know, nine hours every week. Vince McMahon's a billionaire. And of course, of course, now Linda McMahon is the head of the Small Business Administration. <laughs> Vince McMahon's wife, the for, former uh, COO of WWE. Vince McMahon and Donald Trump are personal friends. Um, so nothing is happening under the Trump administration as far as um, this goes. And something the mainstream media hasn't reported enough about is Donald Trump is a WWE Hall of Famer. And we talk yes. about all these other good wrestlers who never got in the Hall of yes. Fame. Yet fucking Donald Trump is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, like he uh, we say this on Struggle Session a lot. Um, Donald Trump is a professional wrestling character. He's a professional wrestling bad guy. That's why he goes out and he improvs all his speeches because that's what professional wrestlers do. He's created this character, this persona for himself that he lives by and is now is bleeding into his real life and unfortunately has bled into all our real lives because he's president now. Um, but he is a character. Um, that's why you a lot of people, even though what he's doing is so monstrous all the time, a lot of people uh, have to say, you know, he is very, still very entertaining and and funny. It's just unfortunate that he is the most powerful man in the world. At the same time, you almost wish that WWE had just, you know, kept booking him for shows and just he would have been happy then. Make him the fake president of the WWE. He would have loved that. <laughs> have give him all that fake power. And that would have been a way to avoid all this other stuff. Has anyone tried to unionize wrestlers before? Uh, yes, Jesse. Um, I believe Jesse Ventura did back in the '80s. Um, the the rumor is that it was actually Hulk Hogan that uh, stooged him out. <laughs> yep. But it, the thing is, like, it, it's really, it's really hard. It's a really complicated issue because, of course, you know, pro wrestling is, you know, has this hyper capitalistic mindset where it's me versus everyone else. I have to get to the top. There's only one champion. And that, you know, that's what we see on TV and storylines, but that's also how it is backstage often because if you have the title, you make the most money <laughs> and everybody and all, these are all, you know, young guys who know that they only have a limited amount of time in this business. So everybody is kind of out for themselves. So the idea of getting all these people together who are constantly in competition with each other, who are pitted against one another it if you succeed that means i'm not succeeding if you are making more money that means i'm making less money that's the mindset that all every that most pro wrestlers especially in the we have to have in order to survive and thrive it's hard to you know really get all these every wrestler to start thinking in terms of this is us versus the boss it's always about me versus you 
in order to impress the boss. That's usually how that's, you know, that of course is how Vince McMahon wants the wrestlers to uh, see themselves as trying to impress him. He, he'll always tell the wrestlers, you know, grab the brass ring. You got to go for it by yourself in order to get this guy's spot. You know, you want you want to jump over this guy to get it and I'll give you more money if you impress me more than this guy. and I'll give him less money or get rid of him. And so the idea of unionizing all these wrestlers is probably pretty foreign. There's also some complications, too, because what does it mean to have a professional wrestling union? Like unions have certain standards. Uh, you say certain things about pay, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is when you're getting at the independent level, um, people always call pro wrestling a, a business, but in most businesses, you actually make money. Most professional wrestling companies in the United States don't make any money. Um, AIW, which is a pre, which is a long running wrestling promotion, the promoters have never paid themselves a dime. They always put the money towards the next show. So I'm curious um, what people, how you have a pro wrestling, professional wrestling union when you have such a disparity where you have, you know, one or two companies with any real money. And then you have all these independent companies that are basically kind of like, you know, mom and pop, you know, art shops, you know, that don't really, there are just people doing it just kind of for the fun. The wrestlers do get paid generally speaking, but it's never a lot of money and nobody's, there's no real money involved. So I'm just curious, I'm sure there's a way to work it out, but how you have a union where all these wrestlers are, um, working together and what standards do you set for all for you know a billion dollar company versus a company with no assets but a couple of uh, maxed out credit cards you no know, what you could do is just unionize the wwe only that's the same thing that leslie smith was trying to do with the ufc she wasn't trying to organize all of mma as one big union but just ufc employees only because they're the only ones who could afford to do that yeah, anyway yeah. and and they're the only ones that force you to do certain things or tell you what to do they're the only ones that are like literally treating you like you're the employee without any of the benefits so i think that same kind of thing could happen with the wwe yeah yeah it would i mean it would be nice uh i feel but i feel like a, another outlet is usually when you know people are on if the people the store people who have the power to get everybody to unionize are either one the people let least likely to want to cross Vince McMahon because they've been treated so well, or two they're the people who can go on and just do something else. Like like if I if you've got if you're you know someone like a Randy Orton right, you've got millions of dollars in the bank. You can just leave. You can just you're tired of this crap. You just leave. I mean that's what happened with CM Punk. He was pissed off with WWE for labor issues. He didn't stick stick around and say. I'm going to organize everyone to get to make things better for everybody. He says, I'm tired of the shit. I'm injured. I'm sick. I'm going to die. I'm going home. And I'm going <laughs> to keep my cup, my two or three million dollars and live off of that for uh, the rest of my life. And that, and, and so that, that is kind of tension, but I really do hope it happens. It should happen. Um, it really, really should happen. Um, WWE wrestlers should absolutely 
1000% be unionized. They should have some power over their own destiny. They're the ones putting their lives on the line every night for this. I am not impressed by Vince or Shane going out there and injuring themselves doing goofy matches because they don't <laughs> have to. That proves nothing to me. I don't care if you take bumps. You don't have to. You're taking bumps because you want to, not because you have to. And when you take those bumps, all you're doing is saying, oh, well, all the real wrestlers, they have to go out there and take you know even worse bumps they have to jump off of shit too and but they don't get to take uh two three five ten years off like shaman man they have to be back there next week once they jump off that scaffold so i don't that does not impress me shane mcmahon does not impress me vince mcmahon did not impress me it is all the wrestlers versus that family and i hope the wrestlers win i hope so too because when you said the last person to try to unionize was jesse ventura yeah I don't remember watching Jesse Ventura live in pro wrestling. I just remember him as a past figure. So it's been that long. Yes, it has been that long. There's been lawsuits around this certain thing. I know Raven at some point sued uh, WWE for some uh, labor issues. But there was, I mean, there's just so, it's just getting so all those wrestlers on one page is rather difficult. And, and, and because, you know, if you get, you know, one or two big name wrestlers. WWE can replace them. That's what they're used to doing. They're used to replacing wrestlers because they're always getting injured and dying. So that's the one thing WWE does know how to do is to bring in, um, not necessarily a scab, but a replacement for them. So there's always that fear in the wrestlers that if we, you know, try something, he's just going to fire all of us and then bring (laughs) in a bunch of other wrestlers and pay him half as much. And he's going to be just as happy. That that's always um the fear. I think with you know AEW and possibly a second major promotion with back with real backing and better, you know, treatment of labor, a better posture towards labor, something could be better. If anything, maybe we need to start, you know, agitating for AEW wrestlers to uh unionize before they really get up and running. So is Vince McMahon as big of a villain as he portrays himself on TV, or is he actually much worse? <sighs> this, is, this is a complicated question because there's a lot of wrestlers who, you know, I like and respect and I think are pretty honest who don't have much of a problem with Vince, get Vince, like Vince. But at the end of the day, that clip that John Oliver shows of him, of, you know, the of Vince McMahon being interviewed on Real Sports. And the guy, the interviewer is talking about all the wrestlers who die, who get injured. And, and Vince says, no, I don't feel any responsibility for him. And then he, he starts, you know, making this mocking voice. He's like, oh, boo-hoo, all these dead wrestlers. And then slaps the paper on his hands. Ultimately, that's the real Vince. That's who Vince <laughs> is. He can't deny it. Like, he does have blood on his hands for years. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, drug use or just uh, steroid use, uh, shortening the lifespans of these wrestlers or just, you know, the normal wearing type professional wrestling. Even if you were a, you know, even you, I, I, I've known professional wrestler, I've known professional wrestling promoters of smaller promotions, you know, very small promotions where, you know, wrestlers on them get injured because this is the nature of the business. People will get hurt sometimes very seriously under you if you're running professional wrestling shows. And they do think about this and they feel guilty about this. And they try to get the wrestlers to take less risks, less bumps, to be 
you know, to make sure to try to be as safe as possible. And Vince McMahon is just not that person. He has just never been that person. He, he cares more about putting on the show that he likes than he does about the safety or even the lives of the wrestlers. Uh, I don't think he thinks of himself as a villain or this, you know, ruthless, maniacal guy. But ultimately, that is how he, he operates. I mean, even the Owen Hart thing, right? Owen Hart uh, is a well, is a professional wrestler who is dead mostly because Vince is vindictive and <laughs> his vindictive sense of humor. Because um, Owen Hart, um, he was his brother um, Bret Hart um, got you know screwed over by a W. He quit. It was a big blow up, big news, big fashion. Owen Hart wanted to lead WWE too. But Vince wouldn't let him. He forced him to stay under his contract, even though, um, you know, his brother and his um, um, brother-in-law had left and went to WCW. Now, Vince McMahon didn't keep on hard because he wanted to use him to build him up, to build him up, you know, so he could have his own heart, uh, Owen Hart champion um can compare to WCW's Bret Hart champion. He didn't want to do that, even though Owen was definitely that talented and that popular that he could have been the top level guy that Vince could have used. Now he may have him do like this comedy joke gimmick where Owen Hart was this delusional guy who thought he was a superhero and he would take off and would come down from the rafters wearing this, you know, uh, goofy costume and blue cape. And he want and this and part of the joke was that they wanted to tell at one show in particular was that he would get tangled, um, he would get tangled in the harness as he was coming down. Now those harnesses aren't made to be played with. I mean, we're talking about from the roof of like a major, you know you know state uh not stadium but you know major venue like you if you fall from that height you die so you the harness has to keep you alive and it needs to have safeties but the only way for him to get tangled in it was for them to um un ha not have one of the safeties on oh god that's the only way for him to get to do what Vince wanted him to do is and get tangled up while he's coming down so you can laugh at him while he's getting tangled. And so they took off that safety and then somehow when he was coming down, the up uh, the latch, the actual latch got loose and he plummeted to his death live on pay-per-view in front of the audience. Just you know, died basically instantly in the ring. They moved his body out of the ring and then they put on the next match. Like, uh, that's who Vince McMahon is. That's how he, he operates. They've been able to bury that and just move on too, just like how they moved on with the next match. And yeah, yeah, literally, they uh, that night they kept go, they kept the show going. Um, so the police weren't there to investigate and look at all the stuff until the next day. No one went to jail. There was a big lawsuit that they um settled with Owen Hart's wife um uh, but you know strangely enough because um owen uh owen Hart's wife rightfully is so angry at them they uh she refuses to let them for the most part use him use his footage or talk about them so they were able to kind of erase that they one side benefit of that they upset his wife so much that they can basically you know get around um ever talking about it or Owen Hart um, for the most part. And they, and they moved on from it. Like nobody calls them on it. And part of it is, you know, because 
you know, the night after this happened, they had this big tribute where all the wrestlers, they tried out all the wrestlers in the company and they all were there, you know, very raw. Their friend, everyone loved this guy. They were all very, they knew he had his family and they tried out all these wrestlers and had them cry on camera, you know, talking about what he meant to them and how much they loved him. And so the feeling you got is that WWE is just sad about it. WWE loves him so much. Vince loves him so much. And um, I'm sure Vince didn't want to kill him, but he didn't really. But that's not, you know, but the negligence is a thing, right? When you don't care about someone's safety and life enough and you don't protect them, um, you're you're guilty of that, too. And but they were able to kind of wash that away through this general sadness that everyone was feeling. And this maybe I. I don't want to say necessarily think they did the show uh, to just to manipulate that, but that certainly was a side effect of it. And they did deploy it at least two more times when Eddie Guerrero dropped dead at the age of like in his thirties because of his, you know, years of, you know, drug abuse and probably contemporarily and, you know, uh, uh, steroid abuse and they also deployed it when Chris Benoit um, murdered his family they did the same you know tribute show where you have all the wrestlers come out talking to the camera you would think maybe by the second time you realize something is wrong that you keep having to do these tribute shows where you try out all the wrestlers to cry on camera they realized it after Chris Benoit because he actually had you know taken his own life and murdered his family but not before then not before then that they realized that maybe we need to do something different and they took Took a big media hit around the Chris Benoit thing um, involving, you know, his steroid use and abuse and uh, their general uh, drug abuse uh, issues during the um, during that era uh, it, that had been a few years after the steroid trial. So they had gotten very lax after Chris Benoit. They did a. Uh, they instituted a wellness policy, which they mostly implemented to um, fire low-level wrestlers who smoke weed. That's, that's, that's the <laughs> like, like Randy Orton. They even talk about this like on the show now. Like he failed his wellness test test multiple times, you know. But um, wrestlers who just smoke weed because they don't want to take a bunch of opioids. The opioid crisis hit professional wrestling before anywhere else, and certain wrestlers said, "I'm not." doing that i'm gonna smoke weed to deal with my nagging injuries and wwe would punish them much harsher than someone like randy orton um uh, who is taking you know harder drugs and constantly and failing multiple tests with the eddie guerrero incident i remember just thinking how fucked up the wwe was because uh they interviewed i believe eddie guerrero's real wife and his brother Chavo? Uh, his nephew. 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 Oh, was it his nephew? Yeah, not Chavo, they're, but they're almost the same age, yeah. Oh, okay. But it was like this completely staged interview with both of them to like push the storyline. They used this tragedy as part of the storyline. And I just remember thinking, man, that's just like so wrong. Like the wife the next day is on air. Yeah. It, it, so this is one. So the Eddie Guerrero thing is, is interesting because he does come from a family of wrestlers. Right. And so and 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 Lucha, Mexican wrestling, you know, wrestling is a family tradition. I I don't think he would have been offended by the way he was used after his death, just because that's who he is and his family participating in it. But that doesn't necessarily make it right for WWE to do it, right? Like, even though, like, they're because they're raised in this, you know, tradition where everything is can be used part of the wrestling. They WWE definitely 
took advantage of that to, you know, kind of absolve themselves for whatever responsibility they bear for, you know, Eddie's death. They really, you know, they brought, they made his uh, wife a, a full-time character for years. She was part of uh, the show. They hired, yeah, yeah. Eddie died and then replaced, <laughs> placed him with her. They, they, you know, did a lot more with Chavo. They did, they brought this family in and it seems like a really nice thing, but ultimately they were covering their asses. You can do it, but that doesn't mean you should do it. Yes. Another thing that always haunts me was we talk about dead wrestlers, but I think about Scott Hall and there was a brief documentary about his life now. And when the lights are off and you still have to live your life and you no longer are part of that WWE family, it's pretty fucking tragic. If you look at his body, the way he has to survive off smaller shows and his dependency on drugs, it's just a really sad portrait. Yeah, yeah. Scott Hall's, I mean, I, really, Scott Hall's kind of a happy ending because, my God, I'm. most people are surprised they're still alive. Even his best friends are. You know, like, he is someone who has, you know, dealt with, you know, very, you know, substance abuse problems um because of some ptsd he has from a issue they he talked about on the show there was an incident where he had to you know he had to kill a guy in self-defense and this is haunting him his whole life and he's never really gotten the treatment he needed he's treated with drugs and alcohol and the pro wrestling didn't help any of it you know (laughs) you know you it it just kind of exacerbated uh some of these issues he's he's had over years and and the thing of it was it was always treated as like scott hall's a piece of garbage scott hall screwing up scott hall's late for the show it was never hey we have a billion dollar company who's made millions of dollars off of scott hall we should do everything we can to make sure scott hall is taken care of because he's made us you know so much goddamn money like that is at least what he deserves i mean a lot of people are you know really upset about hulk hogan coming back i'm for one not because if you ever look at hulk hogan he can't walk and he can't walk because he was giving those leg drops for WWE and WCW for all those years. And so even if he says something, you know, racist in the back room, WWE owns him and he's still a lot less racist than Vince McMahon is. So I'm not <laughs> mad about, you know, Hulk Hogan coming out and making a little bit more money because he, he probably even though he's a, he, you know, he's a fuck, he's a rat and a racist, et cetera, et cetera. He's no worse than Vince McMahon. He all the money Vince has, half of it should go to Hulk Hogan because he did put his body on the line, breaking it down. It should go to all the wrestlers. Like my dream would be like Vince McMahon, the McMahon family gets sent to prison and they redistribute <laughs> all the, their wealth to all the wrestlers who've wrestled for them in the past and wrestled for them now. And then re- pro wrestling, professional wrestling can start over. Actually, speaking of Hulk Hogan, I was going to ask about his legacy because it's obvious and it's been spoken about how much he's done for the sport as far as notoriety and exposure. He was the biggest star for forever, really like from his heyday to his name recognition today is still huge. But from the flip side, we think about how he ratted out Jesse Ventura and kind of put the kibosh on, you know, maybe possibly getting more rights and health benefits for wrestlers, which Maybe if that had happened, they would have lived longer because they would have had better health care and maybe a program for after they were done with wrestling. And also, he's 
notorious for joining these rival companies and then being part of their demise. So WWE just stays the monopoly. So with all that said, he did good for the exposure, but then he did a lot of other things to hurt a whole generation of wrestlers, hurt other wrestlers, and hurt all these other organizations. Where do you see his legacy? Is it more good than bad? Is it more bad than good? I mean, ultimately, like I'm, I'm not gonna hold you know the one worker responsible <laughs> for in both sen- in both senses of the term for what the boss you know ultimately is in charge of. Because even with the union thing, it was Vince. He just allegedly told Vince McMahon, so he put a kibosh on it earlier, right? Like it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't like he it, it, the union was busted by uh Vince, not necessarily by Hulk Hogan. It was ultimately and 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 I don't really I mean it's I could it would be very hard for me to envision like even if Hulk Hogan hadn't said something, either somebody else would have or like you know, Vince McMahon would have just crushed it whenever it came to fruition. Like it, that was in his, uh, in his power um, to do so ultimately because of the nature of the sport. Now other things could have changed. Maybe all those wrestlers, you know, having to defect in the company could change the power balance. Who knows? I, I, I don't feel comfortable putting all that on Hulk Hogan's uh, massive 24 uh, inch pythons. Um, I, <laughs> It's just, I mean, it's it's hard for me not to look at him and just have some kind of affection for him, for all he's been through, for all he's put into the sport, even if he's kind of a piece of shit in real life. Like, ultimately, he's not the one who made, you know, the real killing off of it. Like, he's rich, but he's not that rich, you know? Like, he's doesn't, he's, Vince McMahon is the one who has all the money. I, I'd rather take most of the energy that's, I mean, and the funny thing is, of course, is like people can be, are very vocal and mad at Hulk Hogan for these, you know, these obvious things he's done wrong, but, every, but like they'll still watch, people still watch WWE, which is still putting money in Vince's pocket. And he's much, much, much worse, much, much, much more culpable in anything you're going to be mad about at Hulk Hogan for. So where does wrestling fandom stand on the treatment of wrestlers? I'm glad you're asking me this now and not when um, CM Punk first quit because then they didn't give a shit. They oh, really? not give, could not give a shit for the most part. People were mad at CM Punk for quitting, being a quitter and going home. Even though on that podcast, he literally said, if I had stayed with that company, I would be dead. Like people just didn't care. They thought he was being a whiner, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's getting better. I think the John Oliver, the response to the John Oliver clip, for the most part, what I saw, and I was actually looking for people to fight who were going to take WC. WWE side but I didn't really see a lot of it like of course you have some you know people who are kind of in WWE's pockets WWE circle supported but you also had some wrestlers who are in WWE like fave tweets about it like it something is changing uh, as far as the fan perception goes of these wrestlers I, I don't really know why now because WWE has done a pretty good job of isolating themselves from wrestler deaths they have there haven't been any major ones and when they do happen they don't talk about them as much they don't make a big deal about them so you could almost forget you could almost look at all the new young people around and not you know see all the graves 
um, that are in the WWE's yard. You could do that, but thankfully the fans are kind of not um, doing that. They're kind, they're you know reevaluating it. What does it mean to be a wrestling fan? Does it mean that you're a fan of the company and of the promoter? Does it mean you're a fan of the wrestlers and you care about them and their lives and their health? So things I think from the fans' perspective have gotten better. I would prefer that everybody who uh, watches and supports WWE immediately stops doing it and starts giving money to your local promotion. <laughs> Barring that, um, at least like people aren't because because what WWE did and this is really funny. Whenever a media storm would happen where they'd be criticized for a wrestler's death, they would mobilize the fans to against the you know the journalists and the media company or the network. They were actually run like PSAs called I I stay with the hashtag I stand with WWE. Um, <laughs> whenever they would get criticized, like they, this is a real thing they did, and that was working. It was for a time. It was for a time, but I think the fandom has changed in part because WWE hasn't been as entertaining or fun to watch for them in the past few years. People are now know more about New Japan pro wrestling and the alternatives out there. It used to be when you talk to try to talk to a WWE fan about um, uh, Japanese wrestling, they would probably they would either call you a hipster or a gay, a homophobic slur. Um, nowadays, <laughs> like it's completely different. Now they're all experts in Japanese wrestling now. Um, so it, it the way people have consumed wrestling has changed so the fandom has changed i think largely for the for the better now people are um, like understand and and the wrestlers and some of the and the wrestlers you know they're still kind of under a dumb dumb of wwe but you know not as much as you know even six months ago like so things are changing and now fans are starting to realize oh my favorite wrestler mike you know, get on Twitter and say how much he um, hates the storyline he's in. He might, you know, he might, he might say, you know, I want to quit. Like Sasha Banks is a wrestler that's, you know, pretty, has a pretty strong fandom. And she tried to quit over WrestleMania weekend. Some, something that would have been unheard of, uh, you know, three years ago. No, you wouldn't quit. Why would you quit? You know, like you're, you're well, well, especially for a woman, because there's and a woman who's a serious wrestler like um, Sasha Banks. There, there's not like a, there weren't any options for her. But now she knows. Okay, maybe I can go to Stardom and make a little bit of money in Japan. Maybe I can go to AEW and make a lot of money. Um, these are options that uh, women wrestlers have. Um, uh, that wrestlers have now to think about more and they're not as worried that's why the monopoly is so bad because uh you the wrestlers had no options now those options are starting to open up which opens up you know the fans to other possibilities other ways of looking at wrestling other ways of being a fan that isn't just you know standing with we now you can stand with the wrestlers themselves in speaking about um, improvements in wrestling fandom and maybe even the WWE product, uh, what do you think about the rise of Kofi Kingston? And the reason why I asked that is because I've been watching wrestling on and off for since I was a little kid. And especially with POC wrestlers, they've always been kind of this Vince McMahon style corny wrestler, right? Yes. Very gimmicky, very, you know, racial stereotypes. And I always thought that about Kofi Kingston and New Day. But then, you know, I started hearing, hey, 
they're getting popular. And I always remember those kind of corny wrestlers to be like mid-card level. Then I was like, okay, they're getting popular. Okay. Then Kofi had his mania shot. And I was like, okay, interesting. And then he won WrestleMania. He won the title. How should we take this? Is this a sign of improvement? Uh, unfortunately, I have to say no. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have to say no. Because the titles mean less in WWE than they ever have. This is not, not to take away from Kofi Kingston, but they have another champion, the real champion. Because uh, the thing was that WWE never had a black WWE champion, right? in all their history except for the rock who i think is fair to say was generally perceived as not black um some pacific islander yeah like pacific Islander, or like even not racially uh coded um for a lot of people i think he was i think uh he was a vin diesel (laughs) vin diesel vin diesel just like like vin diesel where even though vin diesel's half black the rock is half black they but blackness is not just you know genetics it's uh it's how people look at you right like it, it is a cultural um uh, cultural um, creation and they are not viewed as being black they just they just are this is not to take away from them or their personalities or their lives or how they feel about themselves but they are not looked at or treated as black men. that's just um it um well you look at booker t of that era and how he was treated yeah exactly you know booker t who you know had explicitly racial and racist stuff directed at him <laughs> by the current i, I guess was he coo see some chief operating officer something uh triple h um and you know usually when you said something racist to the black guy the racist would lose the feud but the racist won the feud and, and so you know wwe has never had a black wwe champion and kofi kingston is the first one um to do it uh, now Kofi Kingston is not American. He's from uh, Nigeria. He was presented as being Jamaican. That's why he's called Kofi Kingston, but they dropped that gimmick. All that's good. But now the main title that they have is actually the Universal Champion. That's the belt that Brock Lesnar has. And that's like their top title. Um, Brock Lesnar defeated uh, Daniel Bryan, who used to have the WWE Championship at their champion versus champion match. So, the, yes, we have a black uh wwe champion now but the wwe championship is no longer the top title um that the top title is now held by seth rollins another white guy so i don't (laughs) i I don't want to take it away from people who are celebrating it but ultimately it's not exactly what people were expecting or looking for as the real historic moment where wwe would have a black main champion the guy the guy kofi kingston is a guy he's a you know very talented wrestler but the guy with the top title is is seth rollins right now well even with what kofi got i felt like it was a lot of it wasn't even management it felt like it was the fans pushing for him to even get that much yeah, and, and that's that's the thing. Like, it's not just having the title; it's also being supported by the company, promoted by the company, giving a strong push and run by the company. Because there's a lot of people who've gotten the title and it's meant nothing because they, you know, drop it in a few weeks or their run isn't impressive. So, like, you can't even judge it until a couple of months after the fact because if he you know has a bunch of lackluster matches if he's still in the middle of the show if he's not main event in the pay-per-views it doesn't really his championship run doesn't really mean anything so and this is 
it's not unusual for that to happen, especially with a first time winner. When he wins it for the second time and has a decent run, then that's kind of uh, that. Then that's a real possible seat change but but even still like you know it's still the secondary championship so don't jump the gun on this don't jump the gun (laughs) and say it's a good thing yeah they can put the they put the title they can put the title on anybody they can put it on they they, and they literally have put the title on anybody for a cup of coffee no no we're we're in a post-racial society now we're in a (laughs) post-racial wwe now well, we're in a post uh, pay-per-view WWE, so even WrestleMania uh, doesn't mean what it used to because all you have to do, all you need to, you don't have to pay $65 to watch it. You just need an email address that you haven't used yet, and you can watch it. So it, a, lot, a lot of this stuff, like they're talking about how, oh, this is the first time women have main event uh, WrestleMania. That's nice, but like now WrestleMania doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore, and no one's going to feel like it, it's a it's a and when you put you know Brock Lesnar first on the show instead of having him have the match before the women immediately before that's like a, a kind of a f you to them that's like saying <laughs> okay we're gonna get get the real you know main event out of the way first and then you take place you know four hours later when you know a lot of people might not even be watching anymore that's a that's a different thing that that that, that didn't feel like they were really presenting those women as the uh main event at least to me and they had a shorter match than triple h and batista oh of course of course <laughs> that was another slap in the face then. yes yeah i think to another point is now that they are doing the streaming service style back in the day, at least if you'd main event it, I heard you would get pay-per-view points. You know, you would, it would be a huge payday for you, but now I think that's all gone. Yeah. Or, all right. Well, it's, I wouldn't say it's all gone, but now it's up to like whims now, like W like, like, <laughs> like now it's like, Oh, like uh Vince will, you know, cut you a check for this or that much like i I was just listening to this uh story that uh, chris jericho told um he he took like a significant amount of time off and then he came back and was given a match with this comedy wrestler named fandaco and he wasn't happy about it and he told vince he wasn't happy about it and so what vince did is he cut them a, a really huge check after the fact this wasn't what they agreed upon but he paid him the same amount that he paid him when chris jericho you know had a main event spot at wrestlemania just you know on his whim now that's nice and that's a nice thing for your boss to do but there's no guarantee of that yeah. right <laughs> there's no guarantee of that so when you're moving from you know I'm going to get X amount of points on the gate to, well, I might get a check if Vince is pretty happy with me. Uh, That's a different uh, sort of thing. That's the manipulative tactic they also use in the UFC, where they call it a discretionary bonus, like on a whim, as you said. And so a lot of times they use that over your head or the fighters who are in the good graces of Dana White will be like, oh, he hooks you up behind the scenes. And it's like, yeah, but that's not a guarantee. And what if, you know, you're a great fighter and you're not on Dana's good graces? Then what do you get? You get nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one, you know, tactic to where, uh, again, can be used as an anti-union tactic because uh, half if half the guys can say, hey, he hooked me up with X amount of money, uh, you know, on this such and such day and he didn't even have to. 
it's hard to convince them that like, okay, but if we all work together, we can guarantee that you'll get, you know, at least that much, you know, spread out all over the time. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Like it, it's a hard thing to convince people of when they're thinking of their boss as like their friend and the guy who's, you know, fair to them and does this this and that for him but i do want to say that chris jericho did sign with aew instead of uh sticking with wwe so you know some people know um um what's really going on so let's end with one final positive question this time which is new japan pro wrestling which when i was paying attention to it years ago i thought it was going to go out of business but now it's been surging on the global stage like you said japanese pro wrestling has gotten huge and a lot of that, I think, is because of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which got fans to look at other Japanese pro wrestling. So can you speak a little bit to that? What happened here? How did this company that I thought was going to go nowhere get so huge and so popular online and across the globe? Well, um, it's, a, it's a lot of factors. One is, you know, Ring of Honor, which you know, was growing around the same time, um, promoted like a lot of Japanese companies, including New Japan. And then New Japan got a really, you know, pretty decent streaming service. And I think that's the real big thing. Like people could pay, you know, under $10 a month and watch New Japan and watch it live even and see everything that was going on. And, and because, and in part because WWE had moved to that model too, they moved to the model at the same time. They decided, all right, we're going to be a streaming company now. So the same way you watch WWE previews is the same way you watch New japan pay-per-views and it kind of got the fans used to streaming um twit social media helps too. all the gifs that people post people wanted to see what was that about where that gif is from oh it's on new it's from new japan oh it's only ten dollars a month to sign up let me see what's going on with it and it, it's just that i think all those things come together that basically the internet has made it a lot easier for um even casual fans to get into japanese wrestling because when i got into it it was like you know there wasn't even that much youtube like youtube wasn't even much of an option at the time there weren't re really like a lot ton of video streaming sites i if you wanted to see it you had to like download it on you know uh uh peer-to-peer -peer sharing or what i did was you know buying bootleg uh, dvds from people that were you know months years out of date sometimes depending on the promotion now you're getting instant access uh to new japan and that's putting you on to other companies that also have uh streaming services like dd ddt which is a much smaller company than new japan or even like uh, all japan or Noah, but they have a streaming service up and fans are watching them and they can watch also watch uh, the women's promotion that they have Tokyo Joshi Pro. So a lot of those wrestlers are more famous than uh, wrestlers in bigger companies because those companies don't have uh, the instant access that DDT does. And the quality of these matches, when I first started watching them again, comparing it to the WWE product, it was incredible. Like some of these... Uh, matches of uh you know the stars some of them have come over to the wwe but looking at their work in japan even what they're doing in wwe pales in comparison to the matches they had in japan like i could show it to somebody who's never watched wrestling who thinks wrestling sucks 
and even they will be impressed. Yeah, yeah, because in in Japan, for the most part, from each company is different. They have different styles, different amounts of work, right? But that at the end of the day, their focus is on the in ring product. It's not about the talking in between. You build the characters, you tell the story in the ring, so every match has a story, a con- coherent. Uh, a co- coherency to it that WWE matches just kind of don't. They're you know built to take place between the commercial breaks, have each guy do their two or three moves that the fans know, and then it kind of is kind of like it's kind of like how it's the difference between like if you took two toys. The the kind of fight you come up with when you're playing with your action figures versus the fight that you see on the screen, right? Like, <laughs> like there's a more of a thoughtfulness uh, to it. And now there's some extremely talented wrestlers in WWE, but the style is just not made for them to do what they do best. You really do need to know English to appreciate WWE because the storylines are, like you said, in between the matches, like in their promos, whereas I don't know any Japanese, but I understand everything that's happening in the storyline because they present it all in the match. Yes. Yeah. And and as uh, really, you know, a lot of people were really worried about Jap- Jap- the language bearer with Japanese wrestling, but it's not really that big a big a deal and even someone like stardom streaming service has full english subtitles and they're they recently they did a show in new york that was just phenomenal and sold out and so they're building you know up uh international fan base because of how they're because of streaming um and their willingness to go overseas and put on shows like like a lot of good stuff is happening outside of WWE right now and more and more fans are noticing i just remember all the battles on message boards that i've been in i wish i could just go back and say hi i told you i knew i told you japanese wrestling was good now everybody knows now you know um but i'm just so happy to see like and a lot of people are looking more independent wrestling too because all the almost all the independent companies now have easy exact accessible streaming services as well you can you know pay ten dollars a month and see tons of uh different smaller promotions it, it's not a ton a ton of money but it does put more eyes on the product get more people to notice them to think and to think about all wrestling it's kind of being on the same level like each company is presenting a different thing for a long time there was this you know bizarre you know capitalistic snobbishness that fans had as a default stance towards everything that wasn't WWE. Like, oh, they don't have, you know, WWE. Like, like I, I can never figure it out, like, yes, WWE is worth more money, but they don't have better matches. Like, the only thing difference between, you know, a WWE show and a New Japan show is pyro. And now WWE doesn't have pyro <laughs> anymore. So, like, so fans are starting to think of wrestling as more than just a thing where you only watch the, um, the top guy like WWE is not the NFL of professional wrestling. That analogy doesn't work because they don't necessarily have the best wrestlers. They don't have the best matches. They are just like the company with the most money. It's like it's more like, you know, like Disney, like a Disney compared to an independent film studio. Not, not nobody would nobody would scoff at you if you said you like you know independent films more much more than disney films in fact disney fans might say actually yeah those films are better even though i still like uh disney films and i think that is the stance that more uh wrestling fans are coming around to now well thank you for your time leslie where can people find you 
uh, patreon.com slash struggle session. You can hear my pod, my cultural podcast with a leftist perspective there. You can also find me on Twitter at Leslie Lee III. Thank you for your time. It was great to finally talk to you on the podcast and we've learned so much. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Peace. Since I was assaulted, I want you to do your job and arrest that piece of trash right now. Relax, what's he talking about? Arrest the owner of the WWF? A figure of speech. I'm Vince McMahon. Look at this, Barney Funk and company. They're going to cut the ball. Take it down, take it down. And you're still...